Greetings, Earthers, Martians, Belters, members of the OPA. Welcome to episode 10 of Expanse, the unofficial podcast. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker, and joining me today is Nikki Starwalker. Greetings. Welcome back to the show, Nikki. Thank you. So today we are talking about episode three of the TV show, The Expanse, Remember the Cant. Yeah, if there's a key phrase from this episode, that's it. And that's also the title of the episode. So very appropriate, yep. would you say. <laughs> if you're new to the show, we are going to discuss episode three today, and we're going to totally spoil it. So if you haven't seen the third episode, Remember the Cant, and you don't want to be spoiled, just hit pause, go watch the episode, and come back. And in our previous episodes, we've talked about the first two episodes of the TV show. And we've also talked about some of the actors and characters in the TV show. So if you're new, definitely go check out the previous episodes. Lots of good information for you there. So remember the can't. Thoughts, Nikki? Oh, many thoughts. (laughs) All right, so just a leap right in. In one of the very first scenes, we see Havelock going to visit Gia, who is a belter. I think she works in the sex trade, right? Yeah, she seems to be a, a prostitute. Yeah, so he goes to see her, and of course, it's not what we think because she's teaching him the belter language. It's really interesting because he also has to learn a lot of hand gestures, as well, because it's a very key part of how they communicate. Yeah, so the the belters use a lot of hand gestures because when you're in a spacesuit, um, it can be hard or even impossible to see someone's facial expressions and things like that. So they have, you know, gestures for like nodding and shrugging and things like that that they that they do with their hands. And then it's also a collection of phrases and words from various languages just uh, put together. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. I thought it said a lot about Havelock that he really wanted to learn this and kind of maybe connect with the people that he had to um, enforce the laws on. And it, it also kind of shows how lonely his life is because I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that he's getting more services from this girl than language classes that, that we didn't see, but were pretty um, obvious <laughs> or <laughs> something you'd assume, right? I mean, probably he went to her for, you know, other services and then found out that she was willing to to help him out with his, with his belter. So. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't pick up on that, but maybe that's because I was looking for a clue to that and I didn't just, you know, guess that that's what was going on. But yeah, and and she was in an actual brothel. Right. You know, so I I think the natural assumption is that he gone there to uh, ease his loneliness, shall we say, and uh, met her and they kind of hit it off and maybe at, at some point, you know, he divulged that he was feeling a little bit the outsider because he doesn't understand what the belters are saying most of the time. And, you know, it's obvious from the way he talks that he's from earth and, and, you know, a great way to try to more easily deal with the belters on the station would be able to, to speak to them in their own way. 
mm-hmm. um, because I think that the way the Earthers and even the Martians talk to a Belter, it comes across as very um, kind of pretentious. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like in our society, the way a very educated, well-to-do person would talk compared to like a more blue-collar person. Like there's a very definite difference in the language that that shows your class, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're trying to relate to these belters, but you're talking like an aristocrat, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not going to go over very well. Right. You're just going to sound snobby and possibly like you're talking down to them. Yeah, but, but get it. the whole thing that he knew about this brothel, he was a customer of this brothel and, you know, had this this favorite prostitute that he went to. You know, to me, it really illustrates how lonely and isolated he is and that that's kind of the only way he can really find a connection with someone. It's pretty sad. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, but you remember that he actually met Gia because of the murder that happened. And somebody was killed in her room, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was interesting. And when he left her room, she gave him, Havelock, a look. And I think that she knew what Havelock's fate would be at the end of the episode. Maybe. <laughs> I don't think I agree with you, but... Okay. It's easy to read into a look, but... Yeah. Could be right. <laughs> I really like Star Helix Captain Shadid. She is awesome. I really like the actor they found to play her. I really like uh, the way they portray her. The only thing I don't like is I find it really hard to believe, A, that high heels would still be a thing this far in the future, and B, even if they were, that a police captain would wear them on the job. Yeah. Um, every, every time I see her in those shoes, I'm just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree. But um, love her performance. And I thought it was really funny when Havelock and Miller are approached by the the Mormon, um, what do you call it, proselytizer or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Havelock is like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to get, go to your meeting, but I can't go this week. You know, let's exchange information. And then gives them Captain Shadid's name. <laughs> That was great. And then Miller's like, yeah, and she's really busy. So so you want to make sure and and keep on her and keep reminding her or keep reminding him, I guess. Yeah, that was great. It's hilarious. I love the masks on her wall when you go into her office. I don't know if you noticed that, but they're really beautiful. Uh, Something else that I'll, I'll mention, I probably should have mentioned this a couple episodes ago, or I guess an episode ago, is I really like how they shorten the title sequence. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was cool for the first episode to have this kind of long drawn out title sequence. But I like that after that, they've gone to this much shorter, which I, I tell you, I am so thankful that this is the way we do title sequences now. It's like you go and watch an older TV show or even some some more modern shows that still do the old school, like really long title sequence. And you're just like, come on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like once you've seen it once, you don't need to see it again. Right. And, and it just wastes so much time. And in a show like this, where there's so much happening and there's so much every episode that they need to get across to us, it would be kind of irritating and almost insulting if they wasted like a minute of every show with this long drawn out title sequence. So I really like that they shortened it. Yeah, me too. So I want to talk about the scenes on the Doniger. So I remember I said 
in the last episode that I was hoping we'd see a better shot of the Doniger. And we we do in this episode. Still not great. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not very well lit and, and you don't really get to see details, but but you do get an impression of of the size of it. And it's it's a really cool ship. And I really love the captain of the Doniger. I'm not I, I didn't catch her name. I'm I'm not sure if we're even told her name, but I really like her. Mm-hmm. And I like her even more in episode four, which we'll talk about next week. But yeah, she's wonderful. I like their uniforms. Yeah, regarding that, I'm really hoping that they just made a change for the show and said the Marines that we see on the Doniger are not wearing powered armor. Mm-hmm. Because if that's the powered armor, I'm really, really disappointed because that's not powered armor. <laughs> <laughs> That is not what powered armor is. And, um, you know, it's supposed to be able to withstand hard vacuum Mm -hmm. and is much more like, you know, think Iron Man. Like that's powered armor. Um, They're they're wearing like hockey armor or something, you know, over normal clothes or whatever. So I, I think if they made the decision to say, you know, the Marines on board the ship are not wearing powered armor and that's only, you know, they only wear that when they're actually going into a battle or they're going out into space, you know, I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Even in the book, those scenes, I was kind of like, really, they're they're wearing full powered armor, like on the ship. Are they that worried about security on their own ship that they <laughs> need to be wearing powered armor? So, yeah, I, I don't know. But then, you know, there were scenes in the next episode, which I guess I shouldn't really talk about the next episode. We saw it online and you can too, <laughs> the first four episodes. But there's scenes in the next episode where they probably would be wearing powered armor and they're wearing the same getup. So okay. I really hope later when we see powered armor again, a certain beloved character that we'll hopefully see in season two that uh, everybody's very anxious for, who is known for her powered armor. I, I hope it's the real deal and not this kind of, SCA hockey armor that they're wearing <laughs> right now. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I thought it was great how they actually had to take down Amos like as a group and with, um, what is that called? Oh, they basically like shocked him and right. then they injected him with like a tranquilizer, I yeah. assume. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, there were some really great uh, moments that kind of encapsulated characters. In this episode, you know, we have what you just said with them having to incapacitate Amos to get him into the cell. Mm-hmm. And then we have the scene where Shed is trying very feebly to like get in the guard's head and, and Amos just like takes over and starts insulting him, getting <laughs> him all riled up. Yeah. Um, I hated Shed in this episode. <laughs> yeah. He's very, I think for the most part, he's a very unsympathetic character we we had the one scene in the second episode where he saves Alex. Right. That was very heroic. But if you remember, Naomi had to basically bully him right. into even doing that. If she wouldn't have said what she said, he would have just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, like a fish <laughs> out of water in, until he died. Yeah. But now we have a little clue as to maybe why he was doing that in the first place because he faked his medical records to get onto the ship. We have a a lot of great moments with Miller just showing, showing him being Miller and um, Thomas Jane is just nailing Miller for me. I mean, I I love how he's a very likable character. Like I, I love Miller, but you can see why like everybody in his life 
doesn't like him much because he's just such an asshole to people. Yeah. <laughs> so great. And, you know, it's really fun to watch an actor who is good at their craft. And the way Thomas Jane was playing Miller was wonderful in this episode because there were a lot of small gestures that he made. For instance, while he was talking to his captain, he kind of like knocked on the wall like he wanted to say something, but he couldn't because he couldn't interrupt his captain. And so, yeah, it was really fun to watch. There was just a classic line from Holden that just like this is Holden in a single line. It's when he was being questioned by the the Mars uh, Navy officer and it was about how he was discharged from the Earth Navy and how uh, he tried to strike his commanding officer and he broke his hand on the bulkhead. And because the Mars uh, commanding officer had asked him to fire on a Belter ship and the Navy officer says, well, the ship was a smuggling ship. And Holden says that was smuggling people. And the officer says, well, you had no way of knowing that at the time. And Holden says, but I was right. And to me, that was like perfect. Like that's Holden in a nutshell. You know, he makes these like leaps of uh, logic or deduction that, you know, at the time, there's really no way he can know, but he turns out to be right. And so he sees this as like, like he was justified. You know, it's like, yeah, I was right. Yeah, there is no way I could have known that at the time, but it turns out I was right. So my decision was right. Yeah. <laughs> so when the Belter on series that was causing a lot of the ruckus called Miller a Wellwalla, and I actually found on Twitter um, somebody that gave us a little bit more information about that. His name is Nick Farmer. And he said that, you know, going back to episode one, a lot of people have asked me about the etymology of Wellwalla. And the well refers to the gravity well. And walla is a suffix borrowed from Hindi, which means somebody associated with this thing somehow. A belter who is a Wellwalla is someone who is obsessed with the gravity well, that is the inner planets. So I thought that was really interesting. And I think he actually worked on some of the language for the show. So you can follow him on Twitter, nfarmerlinguist. Yeah, he's the guy that actually came up with the Belter language that they use on the show. Like, he, he did it. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So he, he is the man to talk to about the Belter language. And already we've seen people asking for, like, a book on Belter, you know, with all the phrases that they use and, and what they mean. And uh, if that ever happens, he would probably be the guy behind it. Or okay. at least he should be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the thing that's so cool about the Belter language is that it is taking words from all these different languages. I've seen quite a few words from Spanish, which I'm pretty familiar with, as well as German, which I'm fairly familiar with. So yeah, it's like every time I hear something that I'm like, I have no idea where that came from. It's like, uh, it probably came from some earth language like Hindi or, or something else that, that I'm not at all familiar with. And it's just really cool. And it, it makes sense for who the belters are. And, you know, we're in this time where, you know, if you're from earth, you know, whether you're from India or North America, it doesn't really matter anymore. You mm -hmm. know, your identity is I'm from earth. You know, mm -hmm. so it's it's really cool that that these people in the belt that have come from kind of everywhere and, and built their own culture, that they have this language that borrows from all the different cultures that people came from. Like it, it just makes total sense. And it's that's how language 
works. Like nobody sits down and invents a language. You know, they evolve over time and they're made up of the languages of influence, you know, nearby kind of converging. And so that's really cool. I, I really dig dig that stuff and kind of nerd out on the linguistics in the show. It's awesome stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I talked about, you know, how I liked how they shortened the title sequence. I really love how they ended this episode. We have the scene where it looks like uh, Havelock basically has a piece of rebar shoved through his chest and he's hanging there on the wall and then they just go to, you know, the black screen with the credits mm-hmm. and there's no music or anything. And you're just hearing the re- the recorded loop of the Star Helix security directive, you know, telling people there's a curfew and they need to return to their homes and everything. Mm-hmm. And you just hear that that looping over. And I don't know, it was just like a great way to end the episode and and kind of end it with this mood of, you know, oh, crap, something major just happened but yet no one's really noticed. Exactly. And it's just life is normal for everyone and no one even knows yet that this has happened. And, and oh my God, Havelock, is this the end of Havelock? You know? Right. Is, is he dead? Is he, you know, is he, is he going to pull through this somehow? Like, we don't know. Yeah. And he's hanging on the wall just listening to this play. <laughs> well, I think he's unconscious. But. <laughs> Yeah, and it's funny because uh, we, we just watched, you know, the episode a second time and, and I was looking at, at where the rebar is entering because I'm like, you know, how would that work anatomically? And it looks like it went in like right under his sternum. Oh. So he's basically hanging, like being supported by his sternum, oh. which would just be excruciating, yeah. I'm sure. So, uh, and presumably it, it went through his spine. Mm-hmm. Oh. So without using information from the fourth episode, I would guess that he's either dead or he's going to be paralyzed, but it could have missed his spine. I mean, we don't know. I mean, we didn't really see it clear enough to know exactly like where it came out the other side, but it it obviously passed through him because he's being suspended to or attached to the wall by this thing. Right. And that was cool too, because it's like you understand why that happened you know, because to those belters, he's an earther and he represents, you know, everything that they hate about the inner planets. And he's also a cop, right? A person of authority over them. But us knowing the character, it seems so unjust, mm-hmm. you know, like he didn't deserve that. He's not one of the earthers that's making problems for them. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool because it kind of, again, like this episode, there are just so many little things that just encapsulated these huge ideas. And, and you know, just this this idea of like the miscommunication that's happening between the different groups and how everyone's kind of reading everyone else wrong. Yeah, very well said, because everyone got really excited over episode four for good reason. And we'll talk about that later. But this episode, like you said, I felt it gave a lot to the story. And there were a lot of little things that happened that were important. Yeah, it's really interesting, the political stuff with Avasarala and all the politicians, basically, for lack of a better term. Um, because in the books, a lot of this information we're being given you don't get until like much later Uh in the story. And now, you know, they're giving it all to us at the very beginning, which 
you know, at first I was kind of like, oh, this is weird, you know, but after I thought about it, I, I think it's a really good idea because it lets us know kind of what's really going on a little bit more. Where in the books, you don't find out till like multiple books, like what's really going on. Mm -hmm. And you're just kind of with the characters and like them, you're kind of clueless as to what's really going on, like what the big picture is. And I think in a book that works, but I think with a TV show like this, I think that would have, I don't know, it, it would have made things seem much smaller in scope. And I think it definitely benefits it from like a drama perspective to let us know from the very beginning, no, this is, this is a huge scope. And we're kind of seeing these characters that they don't really know how they fit into this yet, but we kind of get to see the bird's eye view through Avasarala and the people she interacts with. And the scene with her and the Mars ambassador, uh, those scenes, that was something I, I didn't completely catch all that the first time we watched it. But the second time, how, you know, she has him over for dinner and she tells him about the Mars stealth technology. And it's basically this ruse, you know, and then he goes and calls his contacts on Mars to see, hey, did we give, you know, are we missing inventory or did we give stuff away and who did we give it to? Mm -hmm. Which ends up ending his career. Yep. And kind of destroys him from a career perspective, but lets Avasarala and the other people in the UN know that, hey, Mars isn't behind this. They're as in the dark as we are. Mm -hmm. Now, personally, I like I definitely think her logic is sound and it was a smart strategy, but I don't really buy that that would be enough for anyone to base any strategy on like they'd be like okay well this is some good circumstantial evidence but it's just it's circum you know yeah. like we need hard evidence before we can really act on this so we'll have to see what comes of that and and I think it would be really interesting and dramatic if it turns out that they can't act on it mm -hmm. and they're like yeah that was a cunning thing you did and it kind of gives us a clue as to what might be going on but it's not evidence and it ends up that she kind of destroyed this guy kind of for nothing. Yeah. I, I think that would be kind of interesting if that's what happened. Uh, but it was kind of weird because then there's a scene between them afterwards where she brings him the, the liquor. And it's kind of unclear to me, like, what the future of their relationship is going to be. Because at first it seems like he's taking it very well. And it's like, uh, you know, let bygones be bygones kind of thing. But then he tells the story at the very end about her and the poker game and how she'll do anything to win. Mm -hmm. And it to me, that kind of came across as, I wash my hands of you. I'm, I'm done with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? I, I think he said something like, I'm not playing with you anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what comes of that in the future. Yeah, definitely. That was heartbreaking because Franklin and Craig, his husband, really wanted to move to Mars. And now right. they're banned from it. Right. And they were talking about their wine they were going to make there. Um, yeah, so, so that, like all of that, I missed the first time, like all those little connections. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, if you're really a fan of, of the show, which I imagine you are, if you're listening to this podcast, I, I really recommend that you watch the episodes more than once. Cause there is a lot going on. Like someone said that shall for now remain nameless. This is not a show that you can just passively watch. You know, this mm -hmm. is a show you've got to pay attention. 
you know, you can't watch this while you're knitting or while you're cooking supper or, you know, like this show demands your full attention because if you don't give it your full attention, you're going to miss a lot. And even giving it your full attention, if you watch it more than once, every time you rewatch it, you're going to catch nuances that you did not see the, the last time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll miss the raised eyebrow or, you know, what's on the screen, because sometimes you'll see things on a screen that won't be said out loud. Yeah, yeah. And I like that. And, and I think there's more of a demand these days for smart TV. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want this dumbed down stuff anymore that, that we used to get. And yeah, I, I think it's great. So Nikki, did you have a, a favorite moment in this episode? Oh, that's really hard. Um, I think my favorite moment would probably be with Gia and Havelock. I really okay. liked their dynamic and like that he was trying to learn something from her and that she was <laughs> a, kind of a hard teacher and really stressed that he, he had to get it right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I think one of my favorite moments was actually uh, when all the crew of the Canterbury are brought together on on the Doniger and Alex is there in his Mars uniform and they bring Naomi in and everybody's giving her the suspicious stare. And there's just like so much going on in that scene. And we've got Holden distrusting Alex because, you know, oh, I just found out he's, he's Mars Navy and Alex distrusting Holden because he was dishonorably discharged and, both of them distrusting Amos because nobody knows anything about him and everybody <laughs> distrusting Naomi because, you know, she's maybe OPA and a terrorist. And, and there's just like so many just lines of, you know, who each character believes and doesn't believe and none of them really know what to believe you know, and, and I think it's interesting that I think in that whole scene, Amos is actually the one that had the most insightful statement where he says, they'll say anything to get into our heads. Mm-hmm. And it's like of all of them, he was the one that understood like they're using psychology against us. They're trying to turn us against each other so that one of us will tell them what they need to know. And I thought that was interesting that of all of it, like if you would have asked me who's going to be the one to figure out what's going on, he might have been my last guess. Well, no, Shed would have been my last guess, but I would have guessed Alex or Naomi or maybe even Holden, but I would not have guessed Amos. But it makes sense in his character that I think he's seeing it more from a tactical point of view. And, mm-hmm. and so he sees the tactics that the Martians are using to try to get what they want and he's not distracted by all the emotional, oh, I can't trust this person or I can't trust that person. And I think he also probably has a bit of an edge because for whatever reason, you know, we haven't been told this yet, but he obviously trusts Naomi like implicitly. Mm-hmm. So their whole like, oh, Na- did you know Naomi's OPA and she's a terrorist? Like it's not going to work on Amos because he probably didn't know or maybe he did, but it doesn't, he doesn't care. Right. Either he knew and he doesn't care or he didn't know, but he still doesn't care. Right. Because he has a reason, you know, Naomi has earned his trust. And, and I feel like Amos is the kind of person that it's very hard to earn his trust. But once you do, like you've, you've got it. 
and mm-hmm. he's going to believe in you even if you do something that he doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. I just thought it's really cool. I, I love Amos more every episode. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I liked how Alex said something like, ever hear of a sleeper agent? And Amos goes, ever hear of a human shield? Yeah. And grabs him. <laughs> 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 like he didn't have to think about any of it. Yeah. Just did it. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's what we thought of episode three. I'm a big fan of the episode. I, I know last week, Nikki, you said episode two wasn't quite as exciting as episode three uh, or episode one. I would say episode three is even less, quote unquote, exciting than episode two was. We, we don't have much in, in the way of like action sequences. It's a lot of people talking at each other and whatnot. But, you know, we're given a lot of information about the setting and the politics. And we see a lot more character in mm-hmm. the, from a lot of the characters. So I'm pretty happy with it. Oh, yeah. No, I thought it was a great episode. Yeah. And a great setup for episode four. Yeah. Uh, which will be out, you know, on Sci-Fi Channel and Space Channel next week. But you can watch the first four episodes on, on Sci-Fi.com right now. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah, do it. So that's going to wrap it up for us for this week for Expansion Unofficial Podcast. We'll be back next week to talk about episode four. And uh, as hinted on Twitter, I, I do have an exciting surprise coming for you. Nikki and I do, but uh, you'll just have to wait and see. Keep an eye on the feed. Uh, there might be uh, an extra episode in the next couple weeks uh, that you'll really want to hear. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> So until next time, conserve your oxygen and your water. Resources are precious in the outer solar system. So long, and thanks for all the fish. Flip and burn, baby. Flip and burn. Remember the cant. <laughs>